Last week we started this series in the book of Acts, which we really started last summer. Uh, Every summer for the next, well, this summer and two more, we're going to try to crank through the book of Acts with our summer months. Uh, Acts, if you don't know, is is this story uh, of the early church, the first century church. Luke was this guy who wrote one of the gospels in your Bibles, and uh, he wrote it to a friend that he just calls Theophilus. So he wrote the story of Jesus and the gospel of Luke, and now he's writing the story of the first church and how it originated and how it got going. And we've been studying it. Uh, just look into how we should be living as a church. And today we're going to get to lots of things, talk about some, some uh, fairly important theological ideas that uh, have kind of been born from the text that we're uh, studying today. But, but I, what we're going to mainly talk about is posers. Anybody know some posers? Posers has actually changed, uh, you, you know, the, the, the word that I grew up saying poser is kind of, it, it's been enhanced in its meaning. It's because we all take these selfies now. Like posers is at a whole other level. Like I got this daughter uh, that we've adopted. Her name's Chelsea, and she came over with one of her friends the other night, and uh, we live on this lake now, and so we have some kayaks that Eleanor goes out on. I haven't been on the lake yet. Someday I'll go on that lake, but uh, uh, now Eleanor, you know, th- th- these two girls got in these kayaks, and they took their cell phones with them, and they paddled out about 20 feet. They started taking pictures of each other, right, for Facebook. Look at us. We kayaked, but they went 20 feet out and paddled right back in, And it'll say on their Facebook pages, we totally kayaked. I'm like, you totally didn't. (laughs) You you went 20 feet out on a lake and took some pictures. Because, you know, I love my girls, but uh, in in today's days and age, it's it's more important to have the impression that you're interesting. Like no one one ever like takes their Facebook selfie or their, 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 their front page photo without getting all dolled up or having their best shot. Like, no one ever takes that shot where their fat's hanging over the side, you know. (laughs) I need to lose weight. Welcome to my Facebook page. No one does that because everybody wants to give the impression that everything's great. Everything's fine. Look look at all that I've done. Those are posers. Every one of us has got a little bit of poser in us, right? Every one of us has the potential of of being like the guy that I golfed with this one time who who walked up to the tee looking like Tiger Woods. I mean, just dressed to the nines, in shape, had all of the equipment. I mean, he looked like he should be a professional golfer. Even that really big bag that a caddy has to carry, right? I mean, he missed the first two shots he took entirely. He was writing checks that his skills could not cash, right? And his... uh, his, his whole persona gave us this idea. I was, I was reading on, on the internet this, this past weekend. There's, a, there's apparently a lady who's working for the NAACP. Has anybody seen this? She's working for the NAACP uh, and, and, and thinks of herself as African-American, but she has no African-American genetics in her. And while I think it's honorable that she wants to do things for people and serve in those capacities, would we agree that that's probably a little misrepresentation of what's really going on there? Spiritually speaking, uh, is what we're going to be talking about this morning. It's really easy to be a poser in this realm as well. It's really easy to play the part. Uh, the, the word hypocrite actually is a, a word that comes from the, the stage of the day uh, that the Greeks were creating their words. And it, it basically means uh, two masks, two faces. Uh, you, you, you want one thing for real, but you're giving the impression that you're, you're an actor. You're a hypocrite. It's, uh, it's prevalent in the world. In fact, you've talked to someone from outside the church. What, what's usually their biggest critique of us? We're all a bunch of hypocrites. We're all, and, and 
thank God that that's not true of all of us, but unfortunately, is that true of some of us? Yeah, we're just kind of playing the game. We're taking pictures for Facebook, the spiritual kind. We're giving everybody the impression that we're something that we're not. The Bible uh, talks about uh, authenticity. Amy mentioned it. It's one of our values here. Just be real. Just, just, if you're going to follow Jesus, do it for real. In fact, Jesus was asked uh, from the Old Testament, one of, one of these law professors came up to him and said, hey, man, what's, what's the greatest commandment in all of Scripture? What's the greatest law ever written? And Jesus said this. And I always, you know, I, I'm glad he expanded on it, but all he had to do was say this. Love the Lord your God with all period. He goes on and heart, soul, mind, strength, all that stuff. But all he had to say was love the Lord your God with all. It's an all on, all in, nothing held back life. But Jesus goes on to teach in Matthew 25 about the fact that there's, uh, you know, at the end of time there's going to be this flock of sheep and goats. And from a distance you can't tell sheep from goats. They're just four-legged white animals that are all about yay high. But you get up close to a flock of sheep and goats, and you're like, oh, that's a sheep. That's a goat. And he discusses in this parable how the sheep will be separated from the goats. The goats aren't going to be accepted into the kingdom. And the goats, the story, you know, as it goes, the goats, the goats were like, well, why aren't you taking us in? We did everything that we're supposed to do. We looked just like a sheep. And Jesus says, yeah, but you weren't all. It wasn't... All in, all on. You, you didn't do it all. Today, we're going to eventually get to this point about uh, us giving our all in this relationship with God thing. Uh, every Sunday we gather, there, there's good weeks and bad weeks. Amen? Anybody? Maybe you had a good one. Uh, in the world that I live in, oftentimes there's lots of opportunities for things to go bad, right? When things go bad, here's what happens. Our faith, the quality of our faith, kind of rises to the surface. You know, if, if we believe, if we trust, if we're, if we're all in, then we, we, we forge through those, those storms and, and we follow Jesus uh, in, into those, those messes and, and out of those messes by his strength and grace. But man, if things go bad and, and we're kind of posing, we got kind of this paper man faith, it's not for real. And we start crumbling. And it, it, it's no respecter of, of, of time served, right? Like you could be a Christian for years and years and years and have all kinds of great experiences in the faith, but just this one thing came and all of a sudden, boom, I'm cratered. And I'm smiling the smile and I'm doing the things and saying the stuff, and, but, but in the, on the inside it's just, not, it's just not real for me. Well, my hope is for us to all walk out of here 100%, all in, all on for Jesus, whether it's for the first time ever or whether it's for a, uh, you know, a, a, another go-around, another opportunity for us to, to serve and follow him. My prayer is that we would make him the ruler of our lives. I, I, I watched this kid's show with my, my children back when they were young. It was called Donut Man. I don't, anybody seen Donut Man? Really? That's amazing. All right. Uh, uh, I, no one I've ever talked to has ever, you're the first. So uh, Donut Man was this, was this Christian kind of Mr., uh, uh, who was that, Captain Kangaroo? Who remembers Captain Kangaroo? He was kind of a Christian version of Captain, all the, all the old people. Everybody, <laughs> everybody with white in their beard was like, oh yeah, Captain Kangaroo, totally. Everybody under 30 was like, what? Anyway, 
In this one episode of Mr. Donut, there we go, Mr. Donut, uh, the kids were all, uh, well, it was kind of like a, a ripoff of Lord of the Flies. Remember, anybody read that book? So, you know, if, whoever had the conch, you know, they were in charge. Well, they, they, they did a play on that, and they talked about whoever had the ruler is the ruler. There was one ruler that they were all fighting for, right? And, and so they kept yelling this phrase, whoever had that stuck in my head. My kids watched it all the time. It was a videotape, right? So it was always on. Whoever has the ruler is the ruler. And I, I, thought about every, I thought about getting everybody a ruler. That was too costly. But uh, everybody has one ruler to give. We have one life that, that we can dedicate to something. And, and we have one, one ruler that we can give to someone to rule over. Now, most of us, my ruler, I'm the ruler. I'm going to rule me. Some of us give it to someone else. It's codependency. It's idolatry of a sort. Some of us give it to a, a, other things. It's idolatry of a sort. But what God wants from us, if you haven't been picking up what I'm putting down, is, is not kind of this half-life with him, this, this you know, drama that we portray, this poser existence. He, he wants us to make him the ruler. At the end of today, I pray that you can say, God, have my ruler and be my ruler. Let's read some Acts, shall we? We'll get to that in a second, but let's, let's just chunk through some verses. I love, I love preaching this way. I just love reading the Bible with you. Anybody like reading the Bible? You've got to know your Bibles. We are in an age where Bible literacy is at an all-time low. Our kids are growing up not knowing anything about their Bibles. And so uh, we all need to be uh, students of, of, of the Word and be able to explain the Word to those who need to know. So we're going to talk about Simon, this guy in the story today, Simon says. Here we go. Chapter 8, verse 1. The book of Acts. And Saul approved of his execution. Who's he? Stephen. If you're here last week, this guy Stephen became the first martyr in the early church. Who's Saul? Saul becomes this guy named Paul, who's going to be a huge player in the story of the book of Acts. Uh, but before he becomes Paul, he's actually a Christian killer, like literally. And he stands there uh, uh, watching these men stone this guy Stephen, the first martyr in the church. And he's like, thumbs up. Way to go, fellas. Way to get rid of one of them Christians. It moves on and it says, There arose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the, uh, the apostles. This is called the diaspora. Everybody say diaspora. It's just, it's just a Latin word for dispersion. It's just uh, when the persecution of the early church rose up, all the Christians hit the bricks. They were out, except for the apostles. They stuck around in Jerusalem. Now, uh, obviously, this is a horrible thing happening in the history of the church. People were losing their lives, being imprisoned. It was terrible. But isn't it amazing how God takes really terrible things and accomplishes good things from them? Has anybody noticed that in your life? This really stunk. But man, I would have never had this if I hadn't gone through this, right? And so God, uh, having given the mission to the early church to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth, said, you know what, I'm going to get that kick-started through something that's really bad. And in the end, it's going to be something that's really good. Because as these Christians were scattering to the winds the diaspora was taking place uh, the gospel was going with them and the gospel spreads to those regions that it was supposed to go to devout man buried stephen and they make a great lamentation over him. he was mourned by many verse three but saul we'll talk more about him later this month was ravaging the church that's a, a greek word that basically means uh, like a, a a big cat catches his prey and just ravages the corpse all right it was used in hunting. Uh, he ravages the church, and he enters house after house, and he, he drags off men and women and commits them to prison. He had his own uh, you know, early Spanish Inquisition, except it was a Jewish kind, against the Christians. 
And he says, if you're following Jesus, you're going to jail. And he had the authority of, of the Jewish uh, leadership behind him in his process. We'll talk more about that as we go on. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now we're going to come to verse 5 and hear about one of those guys. His name's Philip. Philip was his uh, deacon. He was named in that list of seven with Stephen, uh, who became kind of that second tier of leadership to the apostles in the early church. Philip was one of these second-generation Christians, uh, and he went down to the city of Samaria. Now, it doesn't say, uh, you know, like, New York has New York, New York. Uh, we don't know of a, of a city that was Samaria, Samaria. Samaria was this big region. We don't know what the city was exactly, but he went to probably the capital of Samaria, and he hung out there, and he proclaimed to them the Christ. Verse 6, And the crowds with one accord, Honda drivers, uh, they paid attention that's stupid. To what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. What kind of signs? These kinds of signs. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame or healed. In uh, the early church days, uh, almost always the apostles' message was accompanied by great signs. Just like when Jesus was teaching, he was able to do all these incredible miracles as well. well the, the same uh, power had been passed on. Uh, to Philip, in this case, the Holy Spirit was working through him so that he could do amazing things. And as he was doing amazing things, everybody was listening a little bit more careful. So there was much joy in that city. Everybody say, duh. Yeah, if everybody's getting healed and demons are being cast out, anybody going to have a happy day? Yeah, these guys are loving it in Samaria. And don't, don't miss this out. Is Samaria an accepted region in, in Israel at the time? If you don't know anything about your Bibles, just so you know, Samaria was kind of... I don't, in case someone's from these places, I was going to say in America. Uh, but uh, Samaria was that place you make fun of in your jokes. Does anybody make jokes like of certain regions and peoples and stuff like that? So Samaria was kind of that kind of place. It was, it was and, and, and worse than that, it wasn't just the brunt of jokes. Uh, they were seen as unclean people. They were mongrel Jews. They had intermarried with, with Gentiles, and so they had kind of bastardized the Jewish people. And, and because they had done that, they had been excluded from the building of the temple when Solomon built the temple. And so guess what they did? We'll build our own temple. So if you remember the story about Jesus coming to that woman at the well and she was saying, hey, which mountain should we worship on? She was asking that legit because the Samaritans, they worshiped on a different mountain than the other Jews did. Anyway, most of the time when, when Jews had to go through Samaria, they would get to the edge of the border. They would cross the line. They'd kick the dust off their feet because they didn't want any of that Samaria stuff traveling with them. And so here comes Philip to Samaria. He's bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's doing all these miracles for Samaritans. It's an incredible uh, ethnic happening. And he's at the center of it. Well, let's meet our main character for the day. There was a man named Simon. Everybody say Simon. Simon, uh, who, had, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. So so he, he practiced magic. So like card tricks on the corner, is that what we're talking about? You know, he could take the, uh, you know, the, 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 the rubber ball and make it go from this hand to this hand. Is that what we're talking about? No, and we're not really talking about like David Copperfield stuff. We're talking about he was probably a part of the occult. He was part of uh, a demonic um, power that was able to do things that amazed the people that he was around. Now, don't forget this about our, our adversary, Satan. Uh, he doesn't like go around, you know, with the horns and the, and the pitchfork and the tail. That's not how he, he reveals himself. That's how we characterize him in cartoons. But, but he, he, he comes as an angel of light. And what he loves to do is he loves to, t like, to rip off what God is doing. And to to, to kind of uh, resemble as closely as he can God's stuff, 
but then lead people who are amazed by that or who are drawn to that into other things. Look what the people said about him. Verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. Every Samaritan was like, Simon, he's something. And they said this about him. This is the man, uh, this man, excuse me, is the power of God that is called great. The power of who? They attributed Simon's powers to who? God. Simon is from the great God. Simon is, is doing things in, on behalf of or through the power of our great God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Was that how he was getting it done? No. No. So this angel of light thing takes place. I took a bunch of kids to, to China in 1999. We went to this place called the Silk Market. It's just this uh, big, huge flea market in Beijing. And, uh, and in China, there's no trademark laws. So you can take every American company's logo and you can put it on anything you want and you can't be, like, you know, sued for it. And so they had Nike this and Nike that. They had every brand that you and I would ever desire to have. Ralph Lauren, all the expensive stuff, but they had these incredibly cheap ripoffs with just those logos plastered on them. My kids just ate them up. They were all North Dallas kids. They were all into, you know, style and prestige. And so they just loaded up on all this cheap stuff. Well, most of it broke or ripped or tore. Like one kid bought a pair of Nike tennis shoes, you know, like the, the very hoity-toityest of the time. And he, he wore them for two days. And before he got on the plane to fly home, they were already, the soles were already falling off of them. I said, like, that's what you get for buying Likes, buddy. You bought Likes, <laughs> not Nikes. In that same silk market, though, there was this one booth, this one booth that our missionary hosts knew of. And they said, hey, listen, let all the kids go buy the garbage. You find this one booth. It's all the way in the back corner. And it's actually North Face genuine stuff. Anybody familiar with the North Face brand? It's not a Florida brand. We don't need it down here. But if you go, uh, if you go north and it's cold, this is like top of the line ski equipment and, and, and cold weather gear. Well, I ran, I mean, all the other kids were like buying the Likes and I ran straight to this place. And they have a limited amount of stuff because they take it straight from the factory and sell it in this flea market. I don't want to know how they got it, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, <laughs> but I ran straight there and I bought myself and my wife uh, ski equipment for like a quarter of the price that it would have cost in America. I mean, it was unbelievable. You know, I had to jam it in my, but listen, last uh, winter when it was cold, Guess which coat I pulled out of, the, out of the closet to wear? The North Face jacket that I bought in 1999. Why? Because it was the real McCoy. That stuff ain't going to, that ain't going to rip, right? We've, we've all done that or experienced that. If you get something that's counterfeit, it, it's, it, it's just cheap. It's not going to last. If you get something that's the real deal, and, and this is the thing. We're going to see this played out in Simon's story. He's, he, was do, he was the likeies, all right? But here comes Philip. And he's North Face all over the place. Here we go. They paid attention to him because of the, for a long time he had, he had amazed them with his magic. But verse 12, but when they, they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And, and they, listen, they were so excited about the message that Philip was, they were baptized. They went down to the river in Samaria. They got baptized, both men and women. Verse 13, and even Simon himself believed. Mr. Likey. He got caught up in the story of Jesus and his, his, his saving grace, and, and he believed to an extent. Stay tuned. And he got baptized. After being baptized, he continued with Philip. He hung out. He saw signs and great miracles performed. And he, the amazer of the people of Samaria, he was himself what? Amazed, yeah. 
He'd been selling for this counterfeit version of God's power for so long, he'd never understood what it truly was to see God manifest uh, in the miracles that he saw Philip do. Now, when, when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria, we're going to take a little shift in the story. There's a little sermon break here. We'll get back to Simon in a second. Everybody with me? Now, when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, uh, they sent to them Peter and John. Familiar with those guys? Uh, part of the original 12 disciples? Uh, Peter uh, was the one commissioned by God. He was going to be the rock that the church was built on. Uh, he's the guy who preached the first message at Pentecost. I mean, he's the leader of the leaders of the church. He brings with him John. He wrote your, uh, your, your, your gospel of John and the three letters to the book of John in the book of Revelation in your Bibles. I mean, a heavy hitter. These two guys come from Jerusalem where they were staying, even in the midst of the diaspora, and they move from Jerusalem to Samaria. This place which, by the way, uh, Luke, in cha- or Luke in chapter 9 of his gospel uh, tells us the story of this guy, John. <laughs> Jesus was uh, planning to walk through Samaria and actually sent out word to a town in Samaria that he would be coming through. Uh, but because he wasn't going to be staying long enough or just because of their lack of interest, they just said, you know what, don't even bother, skip our town, we don't want to hear it. And when John heard that this Samaritan town had rejected Christ or didn't want to see him, do you remember what John said? I'll tell you. John said, Lord Do you want me to ask for fire to come down and consume the Samaritans? John, slow your roll, buddy. I mean, he got got all visceral on that thing, right? I mean, he's like, I'll pray the prayer right now, Jesus, and God will crush the Samaritans once and for all. Jesus says, that's okay, John. We'll just move on. But this is the same John who now accompanies Peter. The same John who wanted to kill all the Samaritans is going to come and confirm their faith in Christ. Isn't it amazing what the grace of God will do in the heart of a man? Pretty cool, right? So here they come. Now we're going to have a conversation. Here they come, Peter and John. And they come down and they prayed for the Samaritans that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, for he, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, Then they laid their hands on them, and the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. Now, how many people have read this before? Anybody read Acts and kind of come through this? All right, this is, if you've read read the rest of your Bibles, this is a little different from what usually happens. See, because here's what it basically just said. The the, the Samaritans believed Philip in in his message. They got baptized in water. All right, If, if, if we were like looking at them, you know, from the outside, we'd say Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. Everybody with me on that? But for some reason, the Holy Spirit had not yet entered into them in a way that had truly changed their life. So Peter and John come down, and they lay hands on them and pray on them, and then the Holy Spirit comes into the Samaritans. And so it seems like you've got this, this two-stage salvation process. Early church fathers kind of caught on with this, a guy named Hippolytus and a guy named Cyprian in the 3rd century. Uh, as, as the first church was kind of getting rolling, uh, into its hundreds of years of being in existence, they started formalizing themselves into what we would call the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, all right? And as they started formalizing their, their practices, who, who, who in here grew up Catholic? Anybody grew up Catholic? Or are you going to know exactly what I'm talking about? Because the salvation process, as it's taught in the Catholic Church, is that uh, you are baptized as an infant into the Catholic Church. You are part of the church, which is the children of God. And so even though you're just, you know, not old enough to know what was happening, you are, you are a Christian or, or a starter kit Christian as you are baptized into the church. Are you with me? 
around 12 or 13, you start going uh, to classes. CCD, who went to that one? Anyone go to CCD? Yeah, I was the only kid in Boston, Massachusetts that was a Protestant. I was the only one. And all of my friends went to CCD every, every you know, whatever day after school. And, and, and they go to these classes, and at the end of CCD, uh, they, they were confirmed. And they would go to the priest, and they would answer some questions from their classes. And then the priest would lay a hand on these kids, and he would confirm in them their salvation. And in that act, going back to what it teaches us here in Acts chapter 8, in that act, salvation had started at birth, but it was confirmed. The Holy Spirit was confirmed in their lives when, when they became of age, spiritually speaking. Are you with me? Huge shaper in the early doctrines of the church. Fast forward into you know, a more modern time. The charismatic movement starts. Pentecostalism comes into play. Anybody, some, we don't have to raise hands again. Everybody's going to be like, ah. um, But many of us come from that background. And in, in, in not all Pentecostal churches or charismatic churches, but in a lot of them, there's a belief that there is an initial faith, an initial baptism, a water baptism, but then there's a baptism in the Holy Spirit, usually accompanied by the manifestation of the sign gifts, things like tongues and prophecies and things like that. And so, so that comes, again, from teachings like this in the book of Acts chapter 8. Well, the Samaritans, they, they started out, but, but it was until later, until, until the apostles came. In, this, in the Pentecostalism, there, there would be an apostle, an elder, or someone who would be seen as a, as a leadership figure. They would actually lay hands on somebody. If you've ever seen it on TV, they touch them, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit lights them up. And it would be because of this, or in, in lieu of what was happening here in the book of Acts. But, but both of those are two-stage salvations. Do you see what I'm saying? It'd be like if you bought this drill... And you got home, and in the box, it was just this part. Which, if you don't understand tools, this is a hammer now. This is only a hammer. Is everybody with me on this? <laughs> this is no longer a drill, because I could push this button all day long, but it's not going to work. So let's say uh, that, you know, at Lowe's, they say to you, hey, take this drill, and, and in a week, we're going to send you this part, which is that battery that's actually going to make it a drill. Right? And, and what we're seeing here in the book of... Book of Acts, it looks like uh, salvation, uh, faith in Jesus, baptism in water, and then eventually the power of the Holy Spirit catches up. But just so you know, this is one of the only places, in fact, the only place that I know of in Scripture that describes a two-stage or seemingly two-stage gospel. And when that happens, just as you're reading your Bibles, you've got to make sure that you read the whole thing so that if something uh, happens once, you don't take it as normative. One-time happenings uh, that are contrary to the rest of what Scripture teaches about a situation, you've got to kind of say, wait a minute, that, that seems to be a unique exception to the rule. And so I don't hold to a two-stage salvation. In fact, here's what I believe. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, everything comes in. The Holy Spirit, your salvation, your, your cleansing from sin, all of those things happen at the point of faith, at the point of conversion. It's all yours, all at once. You don't have to wait for supplements to arrive. Are you with me? So what do we got here? We got to try to understand this text then. If that's the case, that it's a one-time process, what was possibly happening here in the story uh, of, of these, uh, these uh, disciples, these apostles going down? Well, a couple of things are possibilities. Perhaps, as we're talking about this morning, uh, the Samaritans got kind of caught up in the moment and the emotion of everything that was going on, saw all these miracles, believed 
in something that they heard Philip said, rushed down to the river, got dunked, right? And, and, and just did this whole thing on emotion, but never really slowed down long enough to understand the gospel and truly accept it from themselves. That wouldn't be the first time that that's happened. Anybody? Right? People rush down. Uh, life's not going good. I, you know, in fact, Jesus told this parable of a bunch of sowers, a bunch of guys who were planting seeds. And in three of the cases uh, that, that he describes, or three of the soils that the seeds landed on, there was an initial, well, one was just nothing. That was hard-packed ground. But there's, there was two situations where there was an initial evidence of growth. The seed took root. But after a while, it just choked out and it died, right? And there was only one case where the seed uh, truly took root and, and blossomed and brought harvest and all those things. In that parable of the sower, Jesus is basically describing what, what I would call an emotive decision for Christ. Something like, yeah, I'm in, but you're not really in. You know, it's like, uh, everything about me is in, but I'm just going to hang on to this little piece. And then eventually this little piece has this gravitational pull, and whatever we were believing about Jesus, we kind of rescind it, and we go back to whatever we were holding on to in the first. Are you with me? So that's a possibility here. Samaritans were a bunch of posers. They, either, either out of ignorance, they just didn't understand the whole gospel, or out of emotion, they just got wrapped up in the process and they went. Now, if you read that, though, it doesn't seem to sound like that. It could, it's a possibility, but it says that they believed Philip and what he said about Jesus. Everything in there is, you know, all the dominoes that we would say for, for you know, saving faith. So here's another possibility. That the Spirit, when, when Peter and John came uh, to, to Samaria, the, the, the Samaritans were already Christians. They had put their faith in Jesus, uh, but they hadn't uh, started doing what most of the Christians of that day uh, did as, as, as what was normal. They hadn't exhibited the, the gifts of the Spirit uh, as, as, as the apostles had and many of the people in the early church had. They, they hadn't spoken in tongues. They hadn't done the things, the signs that would accompany the message at that time to authenticate uh, its, its, its power and its truth. And so maybe what happened is that Peter and John came to Samaria, they put their hands on these Samaritans, and they were able to exhibit the gifts of the Spirit in the way that was common in that time. Are you with me? That's a possibility too. But in both of those cases, either one, there is a one-stage salvation. And it keeps with, just so we can kind of wrap this up and move on to Simon, it keeps with what was taught in that first message at Pentecost. Peter gets done preaching this first gospel message. 3,000 men and women are going to tr- choose Jesus that day. And, and he gets done and he says, listen, everybody in here, all you Jews who are here for the Passover, you guys, uh, uh, you, you guys are not the Passover, Pentecost, that's the feast. All you guys, you're the ones who have killed the Messiah. You are the ones who slayed the Son of God. If you got that message and you were starting to lean in the direction of believing that God sent his Son and all those things and you realized you were a part of the generation that killed him, would you have, like, a few questions? That that's how it starts here. When they heard that they were the ones who had killed the Messiah, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter, who was speaking, the same Peter who was hanging out in Samaria, hey, uh, Peter, rest of the apostles, brothers, fellow Jews, what shall we do? If this is true, what do we do? And then Peter hits them with the gospel. Bam! Here's what he says. Peter said to them, repent. The beginning of your saving faith is repentance. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. My sin stands between me and a perfect God. I repent of those sins. I, I, I seek forgiveness of those sins. He says, repent, be baptized, be immersed. This is that all-in nature. That's why we believe in, in immersion baptism here. We want everything in. We want all, everything buried to our old lives and raised anew to a new life. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, who's our faith in? 
Jesus. It's in him and him alone that we put our trust in to make us saved. Every one of you, in the, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and, and then here's Peter's guarantee, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not on time delay, not sometime in the future. You repent, you're baptized, identify with Christ, you believe in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is yours. You know what it's like? It's like getting an app. Has anybody ever gotten an app, and you're like, you, you use like portions of it for your whole life, and then all of a sudden, you hit the, uh, everybody knows what apps are, right? Okay, you, you hit, like, there's this little, you know, button up at the top corner of your app screen, and it's, it's basically all the information about your app, and you hit that, and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I didn't even know this thing did this. And you start playing around with this portion of this app that's been on your device for months, and you didn't even know it's there. Some of you are like, man, I, 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 I've never sensed the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I've never, I've never served Him in, in, the, in the gifts that He's given me. doesn't mean that they're not there. Doesn't mean that someone has to come in and pray those things over you. When Jesus saves, the Holy Spirit comes. He might uh, just kind of be there in the background, and you're not accessing him in ways that are meaningful for your life, but he is there. Are you with me? All right. Let's finish by talking about Simon a little bit. Thanks for your theology lesson. Here we go. Keep going. We're going to see four things that Simon says. Simon, uh, who is this magician, starts out by saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. When I grew up, I'm finding out there's, there's little colloquialisms, little uh, sayings that are, aren't in every region. When I grew up, in the region I grew up in, the kids were all taught, gimme, gimme, never gets. Did anybody ever hear that? Yeah, see, I grew up in, the, in a hole. All right, uh, my, 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 my mom would always, when I would come to my mom and say, gimme that, gimme, 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 gimme. My mom would look to me, and she's trying to teach me manners, patience, uh, to teach me that you don't get everything you want in life. Has anybody learned that? Has anybody figured that out? So she's trying to teach me that thing, and the, and the little saying she had for me was, gimme, gimme, never gets. If you come to me with gimme, 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 forget it. Not even if I want to give it to you. I'm not going to give it to you. Because you've got to learn to say please. You've got to learn to you know, live without. It's not, you know, yeah. So Simon comes with this mentality when he sees all of these great things that Philip doing. He comes to Peter, and he comes to John after the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit shows up in the Samaritans, and this is what he says to him. He says, Now when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them what? He stroked them a check. Fellas, whatever that was, gimme, gimme, gimme. He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also. Why? So that I can honor God? So that I can, I can be used of him and his church and for his glory? No. Give me this power also, also so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. To what, to what end? So that I can be lifted up in the eyes of men. I can get more of that compliments, those compliments that they're given in the marketplace. I can feel even better about myself. I want this for who? For God? No. I want this for me. They've actually named a sin after Simon. From this day forward, if you ever bought anything from the church so that God would bless you, if you ever bribed a priest or something like that. In fact, in the Middle Ages, uh, the thing that kind of started Protestantism was this, this guy Martin Luther. He got fussed out at the Catholic Church and all these indulgences that they were selling. You would basically, in that day, if you wanted to make sure you didn't go to purgatory, you didn't go to hell, is you would write a big enough check to make sure that you and all of your dead descendants could rise up out of purgatory and make it to heaven. You would buy your way into heaven. 
You know what this sin is called? Simony. Simon with a Y. It traces its root back to this guy. Because his mindset was like, hey man, whatever God's got, I can afford it. I'll write the check. And whatever God has to give, I want it not for his glory in my life, but for my benefit. Give me, give me, give me. This goes against uh, just one of the central understandings and tenets of our faith. It's not about us. Everybody understand that this morning? This whole Jesus thing, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about him having our ruler and being our ruler. So many people come to Jesus just for what they can get. In fact, that's the condition of their coming. I'm not going to be a part of you if you're not going to come through for me. When you get around to doing what I want you to do, Jesus, then I'm in. But until you do, I'll just go over here on my own. Thank you very much. This is that poser faith I was talking about. A conditional faith. A a half-in faith. I'll do so that I can receive. But that's not what God has called us to. Love the Lord your God with all. Regardless of what you get in return. Thy will be done, regardless of what that will entails. That's the Christian life. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about honoring Christ and living for Christ and accepting from Christ whatever he chooses to give. Servanthood's a hard thing to learn, right? This whole submission thing. Anybody? My my wife uh, and I uh, uh, welcomed some family members into our home on Thursday. It's been a very busy period of our lives. We moved into a home. Eleanor started a new job. And then these, uh, these, these family members of ours just kind of showed up. And, and uh, so on a Thursday night, you know, we're having dinner for these people. And, and we've been trying to teach our daughter, Kai, uh, you know, some of the just typical um, hostess, you know, traits or hostess things that you do when company's over, all right? And so we were finished with our meal <laughs> and we're trying to teach Kai that when the meal's over, don't let, don't let your mom be the only one that clears the dishes. And some of you are going to be like, why didn't you get up, Mark? Okay, I got up too. Everybody relax. <coughs> but I'm sitting at the head of the table, and I'm looking over at Kai, and I'm having the eyebrow dance with her. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody done this? You're trying not to communicate in front of the company, you know, so you don't embarrass, but you're like. And she's looking at me like, huh, what? <laughs> you know. So she gets up and she takes her own plate to the dishwasher. Way to go. Way to go. Comes back, sits back down, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Right? And so she gets up and starts doing the whole thing. But here, here's my point. Every one of us, servanthood isn't what you naturally do. Like, has anybody been in the car? Like, we have a gate at our property now. It's just this rolling gate that we have at the mouth of the property we live on. And we got to the property the other day after hanging out as a family. I bought everybody lunch. Uh, but there was a fight over who would get out of the car and open the gate. Why was there a fight about who would open the gate? It was going to take 30 seconds. But in those 30 seconds, instead of someone just getting out and opening the gate, everybody talked about why they shouldn't have to do this. I'm not going to do it. It's hot out there. I just, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm going to whip my pants, you know, or whatever. I mean, I'll, come on. You got a family. Give me a break, right? You know Why? Because our sin nature says, serve me. It's all about me. 
I shouldn't have to pick up dishes. I shouldn't have to open gates. I shouldn't have to do anything. You give me, give me, give me, give me. We have that mentality with each other, and unfortunately, we bring that mentality to our God. What Simon was doing. Give me so that I can have. Simon Peter says, give me a break. Peter was usually, his first name was Simon, so this is why Simon says is what we're talking about. But Peter says to him, hey, <laughs> may your silver perish. I can tell you where you can put your silver, Simon. It's in the Greek. Uh, <laughs> may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You can't buy your way into the grace of God. This is a, this is a harsh lesson for some rich Christians. Or this is a harsh lesson for some generous givers. Some of you give, but you're giving because you figure if I give, I'm going to get. And, and that may be true. God is no man's debtor. God loves to bless those who generously give to him and, and serve him. But, but don't, it's, it's not a cause and effect relationship. I don't do for God so that he will do for me. He's not somebody that I can manipulate in that way. Are you with me? Peter says, Simon, you can't, you can't do that. It's not how it works. Keep your silver. You have neither part nor lot in this, this whole matter, this whole spiritual thing. You've missed the entire thing. Why? Because your heart's not right. You're reaching for your wallet, but what you need to be reaching for is your heart. Your heart's not right. You think that, that God is some kind of technology that's here to make your life easier. Anybody got one of these smartphones now? We're actually kicking out a Bay Life app in a couple weeks. We're, we'll talk about that some more. Uh, but we're going to have our own app so that you can have fun with that. But uh, anybody got a TV? Anybody drive a car? Anybody? <laughs> well, I'm trying to get out of here. Just answer the question. <clears throat> we have all these things. Why? Because they make our life harder? No, they make it better, right? And so all of these advancements... These, these modern conveniences, they're there for us. They even have one now. I don't know if I can make it work. Let's see if I can make it work. Oh, I was playing Candy Crush. How was I doing? Siri, call Jerry Carpenter. Call Jerry Carpenter. He's right over there. I'm not going to really call him. All right. Uh, anybody got one of these voice-activated things? Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Like if you're driving, you're not supposed to be texting. Everybody knows that. Don't text while you drive. You can just kind of talk into this thing, and it'll do everything you want for you. I mean, how amazing to live in the time that we live in, right? But you know what? Every, every once in a while, we can kind of fall into this trap of thinking that God is Siri. Oh, thanks for texting me. Stow, don't text me while I'm preaching. Come on. Where is he? I'm preaching. He's fired. All right, uh... We come to God and we're like, hey, God, do this for me. Do this. Take, the, take care of this. Set this up. Hey, God, I need a husband. I need a wife. Hey, God, I need some money. Do, do all this. Da, 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 whatever it is. And we come to God and we treat him like he's some kind of app here for our convenience. Peter says, no, God isn't Siri. He's not something that's just here for you. You exist for him, Simon. Simon, Simon Peter says this to, to Simon, the magic uh, man. He says, hey, give, give all you got to Jesus. Isn't it great that even after a rebuke like that, 
Peter doesn't leave it there. That's what he says. Look what he says. He says, listen, Simon, same message that he gave at Pentecost. Repent. Turn from your selfish life to a life of selflessness. Turn from worshiping yourself to worshiping God. Turn from being the ruler in your life to giving God the ruler in your life. That's what repentance is. It's turning. It's going in the other direction. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. And pray. Talk to God. He'll listen. Pray that the Lord, if possible, and it is, if possible, that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. This sounds harsh in its phrasing, but, but Peter's basically saying, hey, Simon, it's not too late. Get things straight. Quit this whole poser thing and head in God's direction. Honor him with your life. You want know, you know what Simon said? Simon says, uh, it says, for I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bound of iniquity. Go to, go to the next thing. Simon says this. Get, just, hey, Peter, I'm not going to pray. You pray. And, and just get me what you can. Just read this. Simon the magician answered Peter. He says, pray for me to the Lord. I'm not going to pray. You pray. <laughs> pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. What did he ask Peter to pray for him? Pray that my heart would break and that I would surrender myself to God. Pray that I would get to this point that you're talking about, that this repentance that you're commending for me. Pray that I get this. Is that what he's praying? No. Listen, this is what most people do when they pray. They don't pray for change, personal change. They don't pray for change. They pray for comfort. Did you get that? When we pray, we're usually asking God for what we think is going to make our life better. In Simon's case, here's what he's doing. Hey, I know you're saying I should change and all that stuff, but I'm not interested in changing. In fact, I'm not even interested in praying. But if you got some time, Pete, you go ahead and you pray some stuff for me. And don't pray that I would change. Just pray that all the things you said, all the curses or all the punishments that God is going to bring for those words I just said, pray that he withholds them. Why? So that I could go on being comfortable. That's not how it's supposed to work. We have been given our lives by the God who created us. Amen? True? These lives that we live, we should live first for him. Love the Lord your God with all. We should be like the kids. The kids that were on the stage this morning dancing for you. So great. They were up here practicing for you. All got here. It was awesome. I just love watching four-year-olds not dance while everybody else is dancing. Isn't that great? There's one little girl right next to Wendy. I don't know what she did in the actual thing. But she just kind of, you know, every once in a while. Love that. Eat that stuff up. It's great. So these kids run through their whole practice. They're about to, you know, practice getting off the stage. No small task, right? And as they're about to do that, you know what Brad does? Brad's up here. He was leading the whole thing. He says, hey, you know what? We need to pray for our worship service. Let's just pray for the whole service. Everybody in the whole room, tech team, band, everywhere, we're just going to pray, and the kids can stay and be a part of that. So he says, so let's pray. And when Brad said, so let's pray, this amazing thing happened. I don't know who trained him, but, I mean, except for, like, two kids on this side. Every kid hit the floor. Knees to the floor, chin to the chest. Hands folded, eyes closed, boom. Why? Because we trained them. No, I hope that's not the case. Why? Because in the simplicity of being a six-year-old, when it's time to talk to God, when it's time to think of God, when it's time to live with God, it is knees and head bowed and reverence. You wonder why Jesus says you've got to become like one of these? 
because it's easy for these kids to find the floor. It's not a big deal. They're not embarrassed. They're not wondering. They're not being like, I'm not getting my knees. They're just down. And that's how we live. Simon the magician didn't. Simon Peter did. Here's the question I want you to answer. Remember I told you, who's got the ruler in your life? And some of you are like, oh, God's got the ruler. In every part of your life? Where in your life do you hold the ruler? It's time to let it go. Time to pass that baton onto the true ruler. It's time for you to be submitted entirely, loving the Lord your God with all. That's what this Christian life entails. Can we pray? Hey, God, thanks so much for your word. Thanks for longer times to preach. And thanks for uh, this chance, God, to be able to just talk about these things. Lord, here's, here's my prayer. I don't want us to just kind of walk out of here thinking about, you know, some things that we heard from the book of Acts. I want us to walk out of here ready to change. I pray that even right now you're working in the hearts of men and women uh, who are realizing that you're not the ruler in certain areas of your life. Some, someone might be sitting here right now and you're not the ruler of any area of your life and it's time for them to put faith in you. I pray that they would today, by faith, repent, believe that Jesus is their Savior, that they would follow Jesus in faith and that they would choose you now. And they'd hand you their ruler. Uh, but for all of us, God, my, my hope is, is for us to be uh, less inclined to self, less likely to pose, and more inclined to you. Uh, keep us from being posers. Help us to be possessors of all that is you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Donuts! Everybody grab some on the way out. Have a great morning and a great summer. God bless you as you go. Talk to Amy if you want to find out about the welcome team. I'll be in the corner. Peace.